This is Dr. Kevin Hamill, Senior Lecturer in Eye and Vision Science at the University of Liverpool, and you're listening to the Academy's Developing Practice podcast. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the University of Liverpool's Academy's Developing Practice podcast. In this episode, myself, Matthew Davies, an organisational developer, and Alex Owen, an academic developer, sat down with Dr. Kevin Hamill, a senior lecturer, to discuss a number of innovations that have been applied in the Department of Eye and Vision Science to enhance the PGR experience. As part of this special for the University's Learning and Teaching Conference, we explore the changes that have been made to support student learning and the impact of these changes for the students and staff located in the department. We hope you enjoy. Kevin, we're really pleased um, to be speaking to you today. Um, It's great to get to know you over the last couple of months and I know we've run um, a workshop together with the Academy. Uh, It's been great to hear about a lot of the work that you're doing. So before we get started, could you just tell us a little bit about your professional background and the role you're in today at the university? Okay, cool. Um, Thanks Thanks for having me. So my name's Kevin Hamill. I'm a I say I'm a molecular biologist, but I'm employed as a senior lecturer at the University of Liverpool, where I run a research team that investigates a variety of eye disorders and some cancer-type research. Um, but before coming to Liverpool, I was a researcher at Northwestern University in Chicago, and before that I did my PhD in Dundee in Scotland. Um, but I think we're going to talk about my teaching more than my research aspect, which is the other half of my job. And I basically I teach on a couple of different postgraduate level courses in the, in the university, the Master's in Research and Clinical Sciences. And then I, I run a lot of the sort of PhD training program at, in the Institute of Aging and Chronic Disease in this building. Brilliant. Okay. Was there any sort of, sort of or in particular pull that, that brought you to Liverpool? How, come, how did you end up here? Well, so I, I, I love Chicago, it's a fantastic city, and my wife's American, so uh, the, yeah. the desire to leave uh, America wasn't particularly strong, but she was super keen to move to Europe. And when I was applying for sort of faculty level positions, I had a bunch of choices, but Liverpool felt really great. It was a really fun city, really vibrant, really nice people in my sort of short visits to it mm-hmm. before. And it was a lot nicer than I expected it to be as well, so it's even better. So, <laughs> so every time, my friends make fun of me all the time for this, for uh, arriving in Liverpool and then posting pictures about how surprised I am, how nice it's been. But, so I've been here six years, seven years now, and it, it's great. So it was a, a good decision that was based on not huge amount of information, but it turns out, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's great, that's good to hear. I think we, a few people that we've had on the podcast echo those, those sort of thoughts. Um, the city's obviously gone through a bit of a renaissance, hasn't it, in the last decade? Mm-hmm. So um, people who have come here in that time have, have benefited from that, definitely. That's right. Um, so just moving on to your uh, to your work that you're involved in now, you've made a few changes to the way that you've supported uh, PGR students that you work with. Can you tell us about those changes and why you made them? So, so this has been a, a journey, I think, is a fair uh, description. So we. I, I took over the the module about four years ago, and I quite liked it. You know, so that so this module in particular that I'm thinking about is the basic lab skills. So it's the first two weeks that the master's students do within their um, their year long program, and it's really immersive. It's sixty hours of of contact in the lab, doing experiments and learning about the theory behind those experiments. But the problem was it was pretty dry in certain areas. So some of the big changes I made were I took the experimental design aspects from being purely lecture-based in the classroom didactic teaching into a more discursive workshop type 
platform, run in small groups with postdoctoral researchers, and then supported by online material that we generated. And that has been really well received by the students and actually turned out with better outcomes in terms of the, the students going through. They, they, they knew more when they came to doing their, um, you know, their exams and their, their further mm. research. Uh, and then the other kind of big thing I did is I changed the, the assessment structure. So the, uh, when I took it over, there was, it was over-assessed. There was a, a, a lot more assessments than required, but they weren't particularly real-world focused. They were very much a tick-the-box, write-down-what-you've-done sort of without really having to think. And what we want to do is train our students so that they can be the best academics they can be. We want them to come out of a master's programme ready to do proper research, high-level research, three-star, four-star in the, in the UK REF system. And so I, I changed the, the entire setup of, of the practical classes, so redesigned them from the bottom up so that they all connected with each other. And now the students write a, a report that is effectively a paper that would work for a three-star sort of level research. It has multifaceted uh, sort of research questions that is asked in multiple different ways that has triangulation in it. Each of the individual aspects build on each other to provide a holistic story and it's harder it's harder for the students they have more to interpret it's much more engaging because of that and I get asked a lot more questions so I've built in extra layers of sort of uh, help for them and that brings in postdoctoral teachers that actually do part of that extra teaching so it's quite good for them too uh, but the, the end goal as assessed by other academics in the department is that the students are now producing things that they could see published rather than Mm. Uh, sort of very much uh, see what you did kind of without having to think so I really like it really good fun it's been a bit of effort but it's been fun brilliant so have you seen any of those papers published uh, um, I, I should probably qualify that it's uh, sort of characteristically that they were of the quality to be published yeah. so the actual data itself is uh, well it's, it's stuff I generated for them so I uh, it's actually we, we could publish it, but we haven't. Not yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That might be something to think about, though. Yeah. Well, we yeah, certainly could. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Just thinking about some of the changes that you made, you alluded a little bit into what prompted you to do that. But I think a lot of us, when our jobs are really, really busy and we've got high student numbers, we just keep doing the same thing over and over, year on year, because it kind of works. What What prompted you to make such big changes? Well, it was an evolution. It was slow. I kept on trying things that weren't working. So uh, what prompted me in the beginning was I, a lot of the students, after they've done my module, they go on and do three 10-week rotations where they actually do lab projects. And I realised that they weren't actually retaining enough of the information that okay. was important. So they they were happy with kind of sorting stuff in tubes, the actual practical stuff. They were confident enough to do the things and I didn't want to change any of that. That worked well. But the actual really important stuff, the ability to design a, a well-designed experiment and a well-designed study wasn't as good as it could be. And so I, I, I played with different things. I started providing more and more information. That doesn't really work. That was just too much. So that, that wasn't effective. And it was only when I began to do this sort of lateral switch into actually making the, the actual learning experience more engaging that I was beginning to see that the students came out thinking about the right things and they still don't do everything they still have more to learn but it's and that's always frustrating from a teaching point of view i definitely taught you that but <laughs> still what i do find is it's a nice platform in fact since doing it for this particular module i've rolled out the same system into the phd students in the in this institute in my department and the veterinary students and the sort of summer project and into an engineering dtp program so i i you know 
we generally think it works and so do some of the other people who run these programs and they so it's it's, it's not crazy differences but it's based on yeah. observations so. and i really like what you're saying about using your phd students to run these small discussion groups what's the impact being on the phd students themselves so this is my my cunning backwards plan so i make them think <laughs> about things that they should be thinking about yeah so it's it's actually it works for postdocs too I've, I've used a variety of different levels of students so I'm thinking specifically now about the experimental design kind of workshop. I have this sheet, a couple of worksheets that they work through depending on the type of experiment they're going through. And during the discussion process, I bring everyone back together and I talk with them through what they're, they've been discussing. And there's lots of chance for my students at the PhD level as well as the, uh, the master's level to learn from that. Mm. And that's great. It's like secretly teach them yeah. while they're engaged. So it's fine. So basically the, the process involves thinking about things that they know, but then thinking about them deeper than they, they previously have been. And that is nice because that that builds that builds on what we're teaching them elsewhere and they ultimately end up being better researchers for it. Brilliant. So two big projects, the first one thinking about um, the way you teach lab skills and moving that from a kind of lecture to um, a more small group discussion and then you're changing your assessment as well. Yeah. How have you monitored the impact of those interventions then? I think you've talked a bit about that but specifically how do you know that that's having such a positive effect? So in a few different ways. So I think we're going to put up the, the slides so that people can can actually see the, the data but what I've, I've tracked over the years is uh, is the, the longitudinal data. I've looked at the individual questions that we've asked in the, in the post-module exam and seen how the, the, the students perform and then able to, to sort of either modify my exam to make it harder so we retain the same grade point average or um, identify the areas where I should spend more effort teaching in the future years or add more content or different ways of teaching, which that works really nicely. But I think uh, from the assessment point of view, I've also asked not just what the students do, I want to find out what the faculty do. So what I've done is I've taken the, the, the assignments that have been submitted by the students over the variety of years and handed them to the different researchers who are not involved in teaching this programme and asked them which ones they prefer. And uh, the data for that aren't on the PowerPoint, but maybe I could add them. Great. Um, and they're overwhelmingly that the, the, this post change is that after I've made the modifications are much closer to where they want them to be, basically. As simple as that. They, that those are the types of figures that they, they want the students to produce and the type of writing that they want them to do if they're going to be joining their lab. So, Lovely. I like it. Yeah, well, great. I really like that you've taken an iterative approach to it as well and you've not just thought, I'm going to change this for the better and thought, this will work. Yeah. You, you've looked at that. Oh, we did stuff that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how often did you make those changes? Uh, so every year after I, I finished the module, I'm like, I'm not going to change it next year. That's it. <laughs> I, I worked. And, and the thing is, that the feedback's really good as well. So, yeah. so the the drive to change doesn't come from people coming back saying, I hated it. It's coming. It's come from me saying, I've, I've marked their assessment and that thing's not gone as well as I'd like it yeah. to. So it, it's really driven by, by that. And then I've, you know, I've got two MRS students in the lab at the moment, so I actually see them as they progress. And I get this... You know, what's it like three months later? Are they still learning? And that's that's really where it comes from. Yeah. And not everything works. I mean, that's I think that's one of my key takeaways from this is, uh, you know, it's a it's a really diverse group of people. Each cohort's a bit different. So sometimes the changes I make won't work for a reason that's mm -hmm. not related to the change. So sometimes I, I I need personally I need to I absorb that and 
persevere sometimes. Yeah, and be adaptable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I also get better. I mean, I, before I came here, I hadn't really done any teaching. It would only be one-on-one kind of teaching an individual skills. After seven years of being a, or six years here, I, I, I now actually feel like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so everything's getting delivered in a bit better. Okay. I've got three more years before I get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> so just moving forward a little bit, um, you received a Liverpool Learning and Teaching Fellowship in 2018-19 in recognition of the innovations that you've made to the PGR student experience, obviously, which we've just been speaking about. Um, so how did you use or how have you used the fellowship to develop your practice since then? So just before I answer that, I just yeah. want to say how good it was to get that because you know my main job is to do research so when I do teaching it's sometimes seen as a, a secondary mm. endeavor and I like it I really do enjoy doing it and I'd like to put effort in but there isn't really a framework to acknowledge that effort and so having something external that I can say yep the work I'm doing here is being recognized in any way as being of valuable really important to me so Great. Now I said that because I, I knew when you guys were coming, I was really it's that's kind of the, the key takeaway that I want to deliver from this. But anyway, yeah. right. So the, what have I done with the money though? <laughs> <laughs> so so we've got these great people at the the university. The uh, what are they call the TELs, the technology enhanced learning. Yeah, technology enhanced learning group. And I've I spoke to them about how I could take what I've done and take it to the next level, make it even better than it has has been. So just to put this into full context, when I say that I provided online material for the, particularly the experimental design part of the teaching, I recorded myself in my house, delivering lectures, made little cartoons of the guys, of people delivering things and kind of delivered them. And they're not great, <laughs> right? They're, they're very much a non-professional outfit, but they deliver the content I wanted to. And yeah. I provide the same material in, in text format and as, as slides and every format that student could ever want, they're available. Uh, but they're still not pro. So uh, what I've done is work with the guys in the, the TEL to turn the basically what I'm doing into a much more slick, more professional and much more engaging uh, online experience. So they, uh, the money has gone toward paying for licenses for their computer programs and then bringing them in to shoot videos in the lab to create online content. And the videos in the lab are really cool. They're great fun. So we shoot short like a couple of minutes worth of kind of lecture type material with with me delivering the content but then I get a variety of different PhD students and postdocs and to talk about their project providing the example of whatever point I'm trying to make and we've done all the stuff you'd expect us to do we shot gratuitous uh, pipetting pink liquid around in tubes like you'd expect to see in the news but we've also gone uh, over to the, the small animal hospital and we've shot with uh, there's a research project into aging cats so we have cat videos as well because we want to win the internet so yeah, that's, that's, that's the way to go it makes sense <laughs> yeah. so that uh, yeah that was the the what it's allowed me to do yeah and it's focused my attentions off of that which is fun I've seen some of that. Um, I've seen some of that material that the guys have produced. So uh, they've obviously used uh, storyline and After Effects, That's and right. I've seen I've, I've seen you at the Talking Head, and they've put you in the corner, and they've sort of they've showing things on the screen as you're talking it through, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is really really what's required. Yeah, it's got it's going to have everything in it. It's going to have little questions along the way. It'll test your learning. It's yeah, it's it's really good. It's yeah. better than what I've currently got, and I 
that's where I want to go. I, I think it'll be a useful resource. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm thinking about this module, but what we're teaching is relevant to everyone around the world. Mm -hmm. So I think, hopefully, it'll become a, a resource for everyone. Once it's finished, it's takes a while. Yeah. So, so yeah. the idea for this module is that you're flipping the classroom, are you? So you're taking content that you would naturally deliver or usually deliver kind of from a lecture theatre and putting it through video so that the students can then learn kind of in their own time and then you're actually doing the practical skills in the face-to-face. -face. Is, is that the idea behind this? That's exactly it. Yeah, that's it. And Summarize. what's the feedback from the students been? Nothing but positive. They, they all really, I mean, they certainly enjoy the kind of workshoppy type you know, uh, active learning kind mm -hmm. of processes. So I, I haven't had any negative comments yet. Brilliant. So yeah, they like it. Yeah, <laughs> good. And they've been uploaded to your website, which I hear has had a lot of traffic and lots of interest. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Oh, this is a whole other story. That we're <laughs> <laughs> you open the kind of worms. Yeah, so, um, wow, that's, there's more to, than, to what I've been doing than just what we talked about here. So. The PhD training within the Institute, uh, they obviously have a lot of things to learn that are, are beyond just how to support stuff in tubes, and the right tubes, choosing the right tubes, that's important. Um, they also have to write a thesis at the end of it all. And so one, one year, a few years ago, we said, okay, let's try and kickstart that process, get them going earlier, because that's a constant bugbear of, of principal investigators that they want their students to write all the time, and they don't, they don't enough, so it was like, okay, January, great time for having a, a writing week. So it, we organized that. I brought in a, a, a science fiction author who I taught them about editing for impact. I brought in a statistician to tell them how to write about stats in the correct way rather than uh, the way they were currently doing. Uh, I had a public engagement sort of uh, a press release mm -hmm. relating type person uh, uh, come in and talk about writing for the public. And then we did, well, I did a, a number of sessions on all the individual parts of a thesis. So. Basically, I generated a load of content for this one week that was altruistic. My students attended, but so did everybody else's. So that's quite cool. So loads of content, thought that would be fun. Uh, that's, I thought that was useful, so I wrote it up. So it was uh, you know text form that I could share with the people who weren't there. And they liked it, so I thought, well, the rest of the world might like that too. So I put it on the lab website, and that was turns out to be true. So mm -hmm. people do find it useful. <laughs> so my, my website went from oh, I don't know, something like, 200 hits a month to something like 2,000 or something. It was a nice sort of tenfold increase in traffic. And I think there the was a, a few months where stuff got tweeted by write that PhD or this kind of the big okay. things and we had some ridiculous numbers like 10,000 in, in wow. a day or something. So they didn't quite go viral but, but yeah. as far as a little <clears throat> sciencey website that um, previously just talked about what I actually work on, my little minutiae in the science world, now it actually has a lot of traffic going to it. And what's, uh, it called? what's the URL oh. so people can check it out? <laughs> so, let's see, this is the thing I should change. So it's uh, lanceandlaminins.com. Shall we just put it in the link somewhere? That's a good idea, <laughs> okay. That might be easier. I probably, I should rename it because it's it's growing into all things for all people, which is probably a problem. Brilliant. Um, yeah, so there's a bit more to that story, if yeah. you let me yeah. wax lyrical. Uh, yeah, so so hard text, bit boring. So I decided that okay, I need to, you know, 
uh, make it a little bit more engaging. So I drew some cartoons. I've seen those cartoons. Well, you saw the uh, third edition of those cartoons. <laughs> the first edition of those cartoons were awful, but even more awful than the current ones. But I wouldn't say the current ones are good. Uh, yeah, and I, I came into work the next day, and the people there were like, did you just draw a cartoon of yourself? And I hadn't. <laughs> the first edition was just like circles. <laughs> and they were like, okay. So if, if people think I'm doing that, I better do it properly. And that's why we're now right. on at least the third edition. Yeah, yeah. And so now everybody in the lab has got their own little head, little character. Yeah. Pretty much everyone in the building has one now. <laughs> and yeah, I've got this weekly kind of lab cartoon series that of pithy little things that aren't uh, that are uh, mildly amusing to me, and people can see themselves in that position. But what they really do is make the the dry content easier to absorb and allow, allow me to reinforce these teaching points. And I use them in my lectures too, which is. Good. Uh, I think it's good, yeah. 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 That's, that's good. good. You break it up. Yes. Right. The, the re-engagement point that you're looking for every few minutes. I really like it. It's, I don't know. And it, again, brings a different crowd of people to the website. Mm. I would like to think they perhaps come for the cartoons but stay for the science content. Mm -hmm. And there is that. And I, and I have those data that say that after I started getting these bigger traffic through my lab website, which is now mostly people are coming to look at the the sort of valuable content, the, the lab skills teaching or the writing teaching. My my paper since I published since then have had many more views than previously. So the actual science is getting yeah, brilliant. Good so, luck on effect. Yeah. So it's a indirect. So it's you know, it's rewarding in its own right. Seeing the little yeah. graph of how many people have visited your site go up, but seeing the number of downloads on your papers go up is mm. much more important for me as a scientist. Yes, yeah, definitely. Just moving on to the book then. So there's there's many things here. So we, we, we have a podcast on journey. <laughs> so the book. So who is that? Who is that aimed at? Um, what are you hoping to achieve by publishing it? And I suppose the most important thing: how can colleagues get the hand on that? Um, so the book is uh, iteration, the evolution part four of this journey. So right. after having produced this content and realised it's actually people are looking for it, they're finding it valuable. Yeah. We might as well assemble it into a kind of more cohesive way that they can have it all in one place and whatever format they want. So, uh, yeah, I added a bit more content beyond what I was doing. And then once you start doing that, you realize actually there's a lot more content that you want to write about. And so there's now a book <laughs> of uh, everything that takes a student from applying for their, their initial PhD position, how to choose a good lab, what they expect at an interview, what to do once they arrive at the lab, the first kind of steps of, of being a new student, whether that's whatever type of research student, so it's kind of, it crosses a different career stages a little bit in that sense. Uh, basic things, data analysis, and, and obviously a big chapter in experimental design, because that's one of my areas that I like to focus upon. And then everything about writing, so writing things like literature reviews and sort of thesis level kind of writing, but also writing manuscripts right through to giving talks and presentations. So it's kind of start to finish uh, the one book that you would need if you wanted to go from I've never done anything research based in a lab to uh, yeah, publishing hopefully high quality papers. Yeah. So quite nice. Yeah, it sounds like a real uh, how-to guide really. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what I was aiming yeah. for. And it kept, as I said, it kept on growing or has kept on growing. Um, it's all got 
it's filled up with the little cartoons. I so that was my next question. Yeah. Please tell me the cartoons made it in. Of course. <laughs> so I needed to have a unique selling point. So <laughs> yeah. This these books are boring if you just read them as plain text, but if you have something on every couple of pages just to lighten the mood of it a bit, and they do they they reinforce the teaching point as well. So the the cartoons are, yeah, they're they're mildly amusing, but they're really to kind of point out what it would be like if. For example, you didn't do what the advice was saying. How how bad it would look to somebody, or you know, to to misinterpret something. It's it's you know mostly bait and switch kind of things. But uh, yeah, so so that's nice. Uh, how do people get hands on it? Well, yeah. I'll, I'll provide a, a link that you could go to. Good. Uh, at the moment, it's on edition. I could say one point zero. So I've got it. Full content is there, uh, but it's kind of. I haven't produced the print copy yet. So the ebook is available as, as a sort of beta test that people can download. And the feedback's been really good. So 130 folk are, are, are paid for it. And then I give it for free to anybody at the University of Liverpool, basically. So oh, all, all our students get it. All our, yeah. so, so the, the pay for a bit will, will turn that into a, a, into the print form very shortly, hopefully. That's Brilliant. The, Thanks, Kevin. It's been great chatting to you and it's lovely to talk to someone who's so enthusiastic about their teaching and their students and um, just hearing about some of the innovations um, has been really exciting for us. So thanks for that. We like to finish each podcast with three or four kind of take home tips for the listeners, something that they could reflect on in terms of their own personal practice. So if you could give us three or four things to go away and think about, what would they be? Well, I think the biggest one is don't be afraid to change stuff. I think that's the, if you're going to take one thing away, I would take that away because, uh, you know, we, we all do it, do it. We all acquire a course at some point halfway through and the easiest thing to do is just keep on teaching it. Mm. But it's not been designed by you. So have a go, give it a, a try. Not everything you do will work. That's probably my second point. Not everything you do will work, and don't be frightened by that either. Yeah, I think just talking to you just yeah. then, one of the things that struck me was you saying, actually, there's lots of stuff we've done that didn't work. Yeah. Um, and that's brave, isn't it? To, to keep trying, to keep innovating when things aren't going well. I think so. I mean, I, I think the, the hardest one, so it, it's not so hard to innovate if things aren't going well, because then you're kind of forced to. The hardest one was to, to make a change when, I, when the feedback was generally good anyway, mm-hmm. and things were working. And I, you know, the easiest thing to do would be not to change it. But... I wasn't happy, and that's why I was like, okay, let's make this a bit more yeah. fun. I, yeah. I think that my third takeaway, and I do this a lot in, in all life, is just to follow it. So when you've, whatever you've done, go with it and, and see where it's going to take you. And sometimes it'll take you to somewhere fun, and that'll be great. And in terms of research science, that's serendipity, following the interesting observation, and maybe it'll lead you to something cool, and that's always good, being aware and open to, to change but then in, in the teaching it's the same idea you start something and you never know you might end up writing a book that's filled with cartoons <laughs> <laughs> and that'd be good yeah. great brilliant thank you yeah thanks for your time today no, with Kevin. It's been great to get to know him over the last year as a university learning and teaching fellow. 
what he said about the impact that that fellowships had on his practice is really, really important. So if you're interested in finding out more about the fellowships, please do check out the information on the Academy's website. It's obviously been really positive for him in terms of the recognition that he's had for his learning and teaching practice as a researcher. He spoke about how he's really appreciated the funding, but also the colleagues that the fellowship has brought him into contact with, who we wouldn't normally be um, working with as a researcher. For example, our TEL colleagues, who will further support his learning and teaching practice. Absolutely. Uh, some of the things that I took from that, um, there was a little nugget in that conversation where he, he spoke about PhD students and how they get value from facilitating the small discussion groups and that deepens their thinking around subjects that they already know a lot about uh, which ultimately makes them better researchers so i was really interested in that one and then some some of the other things that he's been doing um you know he, he has a great approach to these things and and he, he keeps trying at things um, and he recognizes where they don't work and then he tweaks and adapts things to, um, that, that eventually do work so it's a slow iterative process um, which ultimately builds up to really good practice, which you know, which is what we're trying to showcase in the podcast. So I guess the message from that is don't be afraid to change modules and, and change programs. You know, give it a go and and evaluate what happens. Yeah, absolutely. He he talked about that at the end, particularly, didn't he? he kind of summarised what he said throughout the podcast of just go with it. And I guess that's the scientist in him of see where the inquiry takes you and don't be scared about that. So start something um, because you'll never know what it will do in terms of enhancing the curriculum and the student experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's lots in that podcast um, that hopefully um, you'll be able to reflect on. If you'd like to take your thinking further, we've added some resources to the website specifically related to the themes of this podcast. Um, and you can check those out on the podcast reading list, which can be found at liverpool.ac.uk forward slash the hyphen academy forward slash podcast. So do have a look at those and use them to help you to um, continue your thinking about this crucial topic. And then let us know what you think. We'd love to hear um, your thoughts about those resources and also about the podcast itself. You can tweet us at LiveUniAcademy and you can also tweet us directly at eLearnerMatt and at Alexandra underscore Irwin. So if you've listened and enjoyed this episode, then please rate or even better review the show as it really does help get us noticed and therefore more people will find us as a result. So yes, I'm talking to you, listener, who's out there at the moment. All you need to do is just spend that extra bit of 20, 30 seconds and just give us a, a nice review. That will help us a lot. Also, I know a lot of you have listened and not yet subscribed, so please hit the follow or subscribe button now to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Bye for now.